Well, I think one of the reasons that I really love running is because you get out of it what you put into it, right? You can set goals and then over time, as long as you're consistent and you put in the work, those goals are achievable. You know, setting achievable goals is like a whole right. art form in itself. But yeah. I think what I really liked about running as with academics or piano is that you can better yourself just by putting in the time and the effort and the quality work. And I think that it gives you a great sense of confidence and satisfaction that you can like achieve these things. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of some of the world's leading athletes, industry experts, and entrepreneurs. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app and visit ProKit, where we bring together the best interviews, podcasts, and articles in a new platform for athletes. I'm your host, David Swain. We are here with EO Wang and Angela Say, <laughs> my co-founder from ProKit. So we're trying something new today and doing the two of us. Angela is a fellow ultra and trail runner like EO. So EO, I just met you virtually watching you on the trails. You hadn't met me in person, but I was there cheering along with my daughter when you were in the lead of the North Face Endurance Challenge, which for people who aren't trail runners or following that scene is a 50-mile trail adventure across Marin, north of San Francisco, with about 10,000 feet of climbing. And you have a 50-mile sweet spot winner of the Lake Sonoma 50 a few times, several other races for the Marin contingent listening or the people following the or the origins of trail racing, the winner of the double dipsy in 2010, which I think is exciting. That is a throwback. <laughs> We're going way back, <laughs> but I think that's very cool for anybody who's run that trail locally. They know how intense that is. So very happy to have you here. And I like to start with the hardest question of the day, which is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> I had black coffee. I had some leftover rice with fried eggs and soy sauce and a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> I like the chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> yes. Uh, we had some friends come over on Saturday night and they brought their soon-to-be-famous chocolate chip cookie dough. So we baked some fresh that night and then froze some of the dough in individual balls so you can bake them fresh yeah. as you want. That's good. What time did you wake up? This morning I woke up at 6.30. Okay. With a run in mind or, or were you... Uh, I had this a, a grand plan to do a short, easy 45-minute run and then I got up and it was kind of cloudy and foggy here so I started with coffee and then I opened my laptop and got sucked into a lot of work emails and kind of hit a groove with doing some curriculum planning and then an hour and a half later I was like I'll just run when it gets yeah. sunny later in the day. <laughs> that is good. So I just quickly go, I'll go back to the North Face event because it was fun for me to get to watch. I was at all the checkpoints and I saw you come through, I think mile 12 at 6.30 in the morning in the dark. And then 
at, I forget what time, 1130 or 12 on the last checkpoint at Tennessee mm-hmm. Valley, mile 42. And I was there with my daughter and she's 10. It was her first time at a trail race. And watching you come through, because I knew we might do a podcast with you. I was really paying attention and you were in the lead. It was like you were gliding this stoic expression. <laughs> you looked like you were in a Zen state. Everybody else, people were like almost in tears or they were freaking out or they were, ex- you just came through every checkpoint with the same Zen point. And at mile 42, after what you've probably climbed 8,000 feet and you're in the lead, mm-hmm. you still had that. So my daughter the next morning asked me to go for a run, which she's never done. So you inspired wow, her. So that's she so was, cool. It was very cool. But talk about that state that you were in and is that normal or was that a special race? Well, I think that day was a very special day and that a lot of things went right in terms of how I felt, my fitness going into it and also my fueling and the execution of the race. I think every race I always strive to try and stay in like as calm as possible because I feel like that's how I best perform and how I best compete is to not get overly emotional about the experience because I find myself just kind of spiraling into like I don't feel good or this really hurts and it's a little bit of mind over matter at that point like can you have your mind decide that you still feel fine and that (laughs) even though it's mile 42 it's like you can do it and it's trying to keep all of those more negative thoughts at bay and I also find I really need to almost hyper focus and try to stay in you know what they call the flow state as much as possible which is challenging over the course of a seven hour plus race but I find my best performances are always when I can tap into that zone for as long as possible. And it helped a lot that I was very familiar with all of those trails that were on the course. And so it that, I think, just makes the day go by faster as well because you know what to expect and you've seen the terrain before and you feel like, okay, I can do this even though I know the the next hill is going to be challenging, but I've run it before and I've been really tired. And so I know what this feeling is like and what it's going to take to complete the next section of the course. Mm. Very cool. So, (laughs) um, before we get into, we will get into training and kind of nutrition and your approach to racing, but growing up and getting to running, just talk about like childhood where, 10 year old EO were you playing sports like what was your I wouldn't say I was much of an athlete growing up I was definitely more focused on school and academics and didn't participate in any sports until really middle school when I started swimming and even then it was kind of like I need this to eventually go on my college application that I did something physically active and it wasn't like I loved being a swimmer or loved being athletic. And I kind of dabbled in sports in high school, like tennis. I think I played for one year and then I quit swimming after a while because I didn't like 
smelling like chlorine all the time. So I think at high school, it was mainly academics focused and all of my sports were during gym class (laughs) and I wasn't very good in gym class. (laughs) So I never thought of myself as an athlete. I always thought of myself as a much more academic math and science oriented person. And I think my parents placed a lot of emphasis on academics because we were an immigrant family. You know, they wanted me to go to college and build like this better life in the U.S., which is why they moved here. And it was a very like, I would say strict household, the classic Chinese tiger parents. And back then there were moments where I kind of chafed at that because I saw my peers, you know, doing things that I was not allowed to do, like going to sleepovers or just even driving around with their friends in the car or going to the mall. I was like, what does going to the mall mean? (laughs) What do you do at the mall? (laughs) Like, it was such a mystery. (laughs) What goes on at a party? I've never been to a party. (laughs) So what were you doing when all your friends were at the mall? And studying. You were studying. <laughs> and if you didn't have enough, because there's only so, so much homework that they can give you at school. There was so like what? a lot of studying. There was a lot of doing extracurricular activities. Like I was on the math team and, yeah. you know, debate team. And I did get into theater. I played piano quite seriously. And that took just a lot of the time. So there really wasn't time to socialize that much. Although I felt like I had a really core group of friends, but it definitely was, you know, we were all getting ready for college (laughs) kind of experience. But looking back on it, I'm very thankful that my parents made me like pursue things and they instilled in me this idea of like if you're going to do something try to do the best you can like part of it is what's your personal potential like if you're going to do something take it seriously and actually pursue it and follow through you know there's many times when I wanted to quit my piano lessons and my parents wouldn't let me because they're like you have to commit to like doing this and I'm really glad I did because I learned to love music and that's something that I'll have for the rest of my life. And, you know, they taught me how to study and how to actually work really hard. So I'm not afraid of like buckling down and just completing projects or if I have to learn about something, I know how to go about doing that. And they really showed me that you have to work hard for whatever you want in life. You know, them as immigrants coming to a country with almost no resources and no support. And my dad was a postdoc at NIH and they don't pay postdocs very much. (laughs) It's kind of like building yourself up from the ground, really. We'll get into like how you got into running, but the similarities between reaching your potential in academics and piano and whatever and in running how lined up do you see those things well I think one of the reasons that I really love running is because you get out of it what you put into it right you can set goals and then over time as long as you're consistent and you put in the work those goals are achievable 
you know, setting achievable goals is like a whole right. art form in itself. But yeah. I think what I really liked about running as with academics or piano is that you can better yourself just by putting in the time and the effort and the quality work. And I think that it gives you a great sense of confidence and satisfaction that you can like achieve these things, you know, whether it's learning a particular subject or a piece of music or completing your first 5k or half marathon or marathon. I think having goals is really important in life and I think that my life has definitely gone through some phases of what was the most important thing that I was trying to pursue, whether it was academics or music or now it's, it's running and athletics. And I think that all this time, what's been most rewarding is not necessarily like winning the race, but in knowing that I put in all of this really hard work. Like it took me four years to even finish the North Face 50 right. mile. Yeah. Which is not, <laughs> so not it's, it's been like a really yeah. long time. Like yeah. everybody sees, oh, you won on this one day, but really it started like five years ago of yeah. me wanting to like just finish this race. <laughs> right, right. And so the academics side, so you ended up at MIT, which is, not a great school, but it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's just okay. Just, but when you were studying as a kid and focus on academics and you obviously had a big goal for school, was that where you wanted? Well, to I up thought in? when I entered college that I would follow a pretty traditional track of like, I'm going to study a science yeah. and then I'm going to either go into academics and get a PhD, or I was still thinking about maybe going to medical school or working in industry as like a research scientist for some large biotech or chemical company. And I think when I left home, I started finally developing a sense of what I wanted to do for myself. Yeah. Like aside from pursuing a very traditional track of becoming an engineer or scientist or doctor, like all good Asian children should do. And I think, you know, going to Cambridge and Boston is also where I first encountered running and spectating the Boston Marathon. And, you know, I was working hard in my classes, but also got inspired by all of the energy surrounding the Boston Marathon during that, I would say, the entire spring leading into the race. The whole city knows about it and everyone is kind of training for it or getting ready to spectate friends or family who are training for it. So it really inspired me to want to do the Boston Marathon. And that's kind of where I picked up running, like from not doing any running <laughs> beforehand. And one of the first things I did was, it's a very academic approach, a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I probably... Like Google had just come out right. <laughs> thinking you knew back every in the year on. in the year 2003, there were still only 10 search results when you <laughs> did a Google search. So I would go online and, and research like how to run a marathon or how to start a running program and try to read as much as I could about one, what it means to train your body to complete a marathon and like 
starting to learn the physiology and the footwear and the gear and you know what is the concept of a training program because I didn't know anything about that and I think I found it really interesting to learn because I always love learning about new subjects or ideas and I also thought hey this is like a completely different challenge than what I do in the classroom or in a lecture hall or in a lab and it felt like a good balance to as like a stress relief and maybe a way to connect with a different group of people yeah so I started running on my own and just really loved it and those years between finishing school and now talk about the balance between your work life and your running life and where those two pieces kind of (laughs) came together so the work life was interesting so as I told you before we started this recording I met my husband Sean on the east coast he had gone to Cornell for engineering but he grew up in Mill Valley in, in Marin County and we lived together for about a year in Boston and Boston winters are quite tough (laughs) compared to California ones. And I think after we finished school, it was kind of like a, we need to get out of here because we're both want to be outside. We want to be more active. And Sean said, Hey, let's just move back to Mill Valley because I want to, and you'll love it. And it's a great, you know, place for, if we want to be engineers or work in biotech. And so we moved out here in 2009 and Sean is a programmer. So he like instantly found jobs in at a startup and now he works for Google and loves it and never wants to leave. (laughs) And I kind of kicked around different ideas of working for Genentech or UCSF or some of the other research institutes. But the thing that I found kind of challenging being from a science background is that if you don't have a PhD or an MD, you don't have very much autonomy in the kind of work that you Mm -hmm. do. So you basically can get hired as a research assistant or a lab tech and it's you doing some someone else's work. And often it's the same thing day after day, like you're running assays or tests or doing these studies that are very repetitive. And also you're at a bench by yourself doing experiments all day, which I kind of dreaded in a way getting into that kind of life. And so I think part of me was trying to delay that as much as possible (laughs) until you know, one of life's many interesting twists and turns, this opportunity landed in front of me where a small private school in San Rafael was in desperate need of a math teacher for, it was supposed to be a short-term, like, part-time assignment. And I was thinking, well, I'm not, you know, a full-time employee right now. I might as well help them out because I've always liked teaching and tutoring and I started teaching math there it was seventh and eighth grade I'd never taught in a classroom before and it seemed just really exciting to have to learn a new skill so I think that's also something that I've learned about myself over time is that I'm not someone that can do the same exact thing day after day after day I'm always 
wanting to learn new skills, new knowledge, just like this constant pushing of where my boundaries are and where my skill set is. And I think that's what really excites me about mm. life. So most people hear this story yeah. and they're like, you went in a classroom and you taught seventh and right. eighth graders. Yeah. Like that's so crazy. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it was crazy. Like I couldn't sleep at night because of how challenging it was because I'd never done it before. But on the other what hand, what was the time period between finding out that you were taking the job and when you were in the classroom? Oh, probably a week. Oh my god! Like gosh. there was not very much lead up time. And Which at private schools can happen because you yeah, don't, but because you don't have, you a, don't need a teaching credential. A, right, I've never, never had a teaching credential. I had yeah. zero classroom experience. I'd worked one on one with students before as a tutor, but that's very different than working in the classroom. So. It wasn't the subject matter that was the challenge. It was all yeah. of those classroom what management happens when skills. You get up in front of it the was students. like, yeah. what happens when a parent emails you? And I'd be like, what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, you learn what to say or you uh, kind of figure out what you need to do. And so that was, I think, a very, just a very formative experience in that one, I learned that I can take on something that's a job that I'm afraid that I don't have the skills for but I can learn them. Yeah, you'll right? go outside As long as I zone. put yeah. in the effort and ask people for help and try to do the best I can and, you know, care mainly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you're passionate about what it is that you're doing, you really can do anything. And when did the professional runner part happen? Like, what did that, well, or was it not as fast as, You know, like, I, I think... After we moved here, I definitely started running and training more seriously because the climate one was more conducive. Yeah. And also I was like not fully employed at the time. So I had a lot more time to train. And I wasn't at all thinking that I would ever become a professional runner. But I really wanted to keep improving my running and especially the marathoning, which is the distance that I really enjoyed. So... I started working with a coach for the first time in 2010, a local guy named Mark, and I quickly saw a lot of improvement in my marathon time from being like a three and a half hour marathoner to a three hour marathoner to breaking three hours to like breaking 250 and to thinking, wow, maybe I can try and get that Olympic trials qualifying time, which is kind of an arbitrary standard, but it's just like, this yeah, is a goal no, that it's... I can go for. And at the time it was 246. And so I put in a lot of training with my coach and then got into the local running community and ran 238 marathon in 2011 in Duluth, Minnesota, which was above and beyond what I ever could have imagined myself running that's a and 603 <laughs> i'm glad you know that no, precisely we, we, yeah you've done your research that's insane for for me I, when i turned 40 i went out and ran a mile on a track which i had never done yeah just to see what and i ran a 608 for one mile and almost died so <laughs> 603 for 26 is uh <laughs> it's it's quick I just enjoyed that day because, you know, it didn't come immediately. It was the result of having dedicated myself to marathon training since, you know, 2000, 
four mm-hmm. is when I really started the process. And I think after that point, I thought of myself as like a pretty solid sub elite runner. Yeah. You know, it was a really exciting day when I could get into a race for free. Right. <laughs> and I could possibly go out and win these local races, but I didn't think that I would ever be professional or elite because yeah. in road racing, there's just another echelon of runners who've been doing it since high school, who've had all the resources and training and been competing for so much longer. And I ran, you know, local road races, marathons for a while. And then I got into trail running just from living in Marin and having access to all these beautiful trails. I found myself doing a lot of training runs on Mount Tam or in the watershed and got to really enjoy trail running, but didn't really think of it as a space where I could compete in it until I would say 2013, 2014. I had a pretty major ankle injury in 2013 where I had the whole year off of running and had surgery and was like on crutches for a while. And I think after I recovered from that, I, yeah, that's another story. If you think teaching's hard, try teaching on crutches. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, after I recovered from that injury and was really working myself back to being able to run at all, I sort of had this period where I really needed to decide where I wanted to take the running from here. And was it going back to just road racing or marathoning or is it exploring something else? And I thought it was really time to explore something else and to really dive into trail running and especially ultra running because I thought that the endurance aspect of marathon running was my strongest athletic you know, yeah. feature or what I enjoyed the most. So I would extend that and try a 50K and see what happens. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, it turns out I really like it. Well, number one is I really enjoy it and I love the community around trail and ultra running. And also having done well at some races in 2014 and 2015, then the sponsors started approaching, which was really cool because part of it is like validation of how hard you've worked and how good your results are. And also it's kind of fun to have someone that believes in your ability. (laughs) And it's a very rewarding process to like be involved in, in making product in like representing a brand. Yeah. We'll get more into that, but I want to pass it to Angela before, um, on the training side and you know you clearly take that very seriously so (laughs) break down some of the learnings (laughs) great yeah so let's um jump a bit into training you mentioned that when you first started out running you did some research online and followed some online training plan probably what does your training look like today how do you set goals how do you plan your race year and what does your day-to-day look like now So nowadays I work with a coach, Mario Fraioli, who you've had on this podcast before, and he and I have been working together for four years, maybe more. I've lost track. He's a really good friend as well as a coach. So that's been an amazing relationship to have. 
What Mario and I usually do is after my last race of the year, so after North Face and after a little time off, we'll get together and plan out a race plan for you know 2020, going into 2020. And it's very helpful to have someone like Mario be just have a second set of eyes because as an athlete, you always want to do everything. Right? I'm always like, I want to do that race and that race and that race and that race. And Mario will say, now, hold on. What's the race you really, really want to do? And then we work backwards from that because you can't commit to all of these races and expect to put your best performance through all of them. So we typically target something every quarter. So that gives enough time for ramping up training, doing the race, and recovering afterwards, right? So, for example, this year going into 2020, first quarter will be the Marathon Olympic Trials in Atlanta, for which training really kicked off this week. And then we think, okay, let's look at a 10 to 12-week buildup. And depending on what kind of race it is, Mario will tailor different kinds of workouts to that race. So, for example... Going into training for the North Face, we were doing a lot of hilly, long trail efforts, which is going to be very different than what we do for getting ready for a fast road marathon, which is going to be track work and shorter intervals on the bike paths, for example. And then look at, okay, second quarter, that's like April, May kind of a race. Do I want to do a 50K and build off of the speed work that I've done in the marathon? And that would be a great transition. So we're thinking about 50K or 50 miles sometime in April or May. And then my big goal for the summer is to do one of the UTMB races, probably CCC, the 110K. So between May and August, I need to go to the mountains and actually get Alps legs, right. <laughs> practice my pulls and practice carrying a big pack. And then after UTMB, you know, we'll say there's going to be a two or three week recovery period that you require after a big race like that. And so maybe there's another buildup that we can do for a race in November, or December, maybe the North Face again, or maybe another Ultra Trail World Tour race later in the year. And then I get weekly plans so from sunday to sunday so typically mondays are like an easy recovery run and then there will be two workouts wednesday and friday or wednesday and saturday and one day will be shorter harder like vo2 type intervals and then speed work intervals and then friday or saturday will be longer like threshold tempo work intervals and then there will be a long run on Sunday or a Saturday depending on how the schedule plays out and I've gone through times where I've tried to like hit arbitrary mileage numbers and I found that I think what I learned most after this cycle of training for the North Face is that I don't need to run 100 miles a week <laughs> or 120 or 90 or whatever it is that you think is this arbitrary goal like that's not the magic answer some people respond better to higher mileage. Some people respond better to lower mileage and more quality. And I think I'm definitely on the spectrum of not needing super high mileage. Like going into North Face, I think my highest mileage week was 80 or 85, which is pretty low for doing a long endurance event. 
and my longest run was a marathon. So I think the more base you have in your body, like now that I've done four or five 50 mile races, my body knows how to run the 50 miles and I don't have to like overtrain myself to just to get the miles to do the distance. I'd rather spend the time on the quality because as I get older and as I put more miles on my body, there's so much more that needs to go into recovery. So compared to five years ago, I do so much more prehab, rehab, recovery stuff. <laughs> and that's time that I would rather take away from like putting in excess mileage and put it towards doing all of these little things or not so little things, strength training, yoga, stretching, massage, like body work, that all, you have to have time for that now. So how do you structure your day? Do you have a particular routine of how you get your training um, and workouts and all I of the I used to have a very recovery? strict routine, especially when I was full-time teaching because the school days start so early. It was like I had to be at work at 7.30. So on the weekdays, I was like 5 a.m. alarm, out the door running by 5.50, with a headlamp most of the time, except for, you know, in the summer. And then back home by seven, shower, change, like look presentable, out the door by 7.20. And that was a very strict Monday through Friday schedule. Sometimes I would run a double at the end of the day, but I would always prefer to run before work just because you're tired at the end of the day and I felt like I wasn't getting the quality run that I needed if I would run at the end of the day so it was a very strict Monday through Friday schedule and it was going to bed by 8 30 like there was zero going out in the middle of the week for anything but now that my work schedule is a lot more flexible um, I'm not teaching full-time anymore and I teach part-time and then I have some consulting and tutoring projects that I work on so I can set my own hours, which is a gift and a curse at the same time, you know. As so now you have to impose structure I, on Now your I own. have to impose my structure, but I'm also okay with being more flexible. You know, I used to think, uh, if I don't run in the morning, then all my runs will feel terrible, but that's not necessarily the case. Like, that's... 90% mental and 10% when you eat your meals. Right? So you feel like you've become more flexible. <laughs> oh, I've become much more flexible. Like I'm much more open to what time of day I go running now because sometimes I'll meet someone who can only run between 10 a.m. and noon. And I used to hate running at that time of day, but now it's great. I'm fine. You know, as long as I have my coffee and I'll do some work and then go for a run and then go back to doing other things the rest of the day. Or today, for example, I'm going to run in the afternoon because after I record this podcast, I'm going to go have lunch with some friends and then we're going to go for a hike and then I'll do my run later in the day. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to be flexible and to enjoy life and to not be so rigid because the more rigid you are, the more stress you feel if something disturbs that rigidity of routine. You know, if your alarm is late or, or if your headlamp battery happens to not be charged in the morning, like you have to figure it out. You have to be okay with changes in the routine. 
Which is also a good skill for <laughs> ultras, especially longer ones, exactly, being flexible Exactly, because and most adapting. of your races never go according to 100% of your game plan, right? You have to be able to problem solve or not panic, I think is the biggest thing, is a lot of people can have amazing races until they reach this point when they see a curveball and then they panic. And that's when your race goes totally downhill versus you figuring out a solution, staying calm and just continuing onwards. Because even with this most recent North Face 50, yeah, I had a great day, but somewhere between cardiac and Mirror Beach, like going down the Dipsy, my legs started cramping. Like so I didn't know. not even halfway. Done that was that more part. than halfway. That was like past the 50K mark. Past, yeah, okay. between 50K and mile 40. Oh, on the way back. Yeah, okay. on the way back. Okay. My legs started cramping, like running down the Dipsy. And I really thought that there was a point where I would have to stop. But then I was like, no, <laughs> you can figure out a solution. Like there's an aid station coming up at Mirror Woods Road. You know, you just have to make it there luckily it was downhill so you kind of just use your momentum <laughs> keep your legs going and then I ate a bunch of salt at the aid station and drank water and kind of like hiked a little bit up dynamite and then my legs felt like moving again you know they didn't feel a hundred percent because things felt like oh if I take a bad step you know my whole leg might start cramping again but I can keep moving forwards and I can keep taking electrolytes at the next aid station and I can keep hydrating because it's a very humid day. And I think a lot of people had cramping issues and electrolyte issues. So even though it was a race that to me felt like one of the best races I've ever executed, there was still, you know, little things that you have to keep working through. So you just mentioned it's been one of the best races you've ever done i'm curious where does it rank as was it <laughs> is it the race you're most proud of or what would have been um your best moment in your well, running career i think it would be one of the best moments it's always hard to decide because when it's the freshest you think wow that definitely was the best race i've ever had but then you think back and be like well, all those other moments were pretty good too. <laughs> they were just farther in the past. So the feelings doesn't feel as intense as this most recent one. So if you ask me now, I would say yes, the North Face 50. On home trails. On home trails. like Yeah, there were just so many things that came together to make it a poignant experience. Like having so many locals and people that I've run with or people that I know in the running community out there cheering for me on that day was very special like there's nowhere else that I could replicate that experience racing on trails that I run every week and that I have so many good memories on was also very special actually I enjoyed that finish across the Golden Gate Bridge because it's such an iconic San Francisco Bay Area experience and I actually don't run across the Golden Gate Bridge very often so it was kind of exciting for me at the end of the 50 miles to run across the bridge and then I just thought that I was very happy with my nutrition and execution of that nutrition plan during the race I think nutritionally it was the best I'd ever done in a 50 mile race in terms of feeling like I was adequately fueled the whole day Sounds great. You mentioned the growing importance of some of the 
additional injury prevention and things you do for recovery. Can you talk a bit more about how you fit that into your week and how do you make sure those things um, get yeah. the time they need? I'm not very good at doing them on my own because I always find better or more interesting things to do with my time than sit around and stretch. <laughs> so I do a lot of classes. I do a strength training class once a week in the city that's tailored towards endurance running or triathlon sports. And then I go do to yoga. Do you do weights or is it? Yes. So it's like weight. deadlifting, squatting. I don't do super heavy weights. I usually just do the bar and then like the lightest weights <laughs> that will actually fit on the bars. But it's excellent for just activating some of the muscles that get turned off when you're sitting or driving. A lot of it's working on glute activation and hamstring activation versus being overly quad dependent, yeah. which a lot of Typical runners runner end up becoming. Yeah. That class also works us on mobility and flexibility. So we do a lot of like box jumps and lunging and that sort of thing. And it's always shocking to me how poorly I execute <laughs> like something that seems very simple and then you just can't do it because your body is so used to doing this other movement and you you know for example like a simple box step up if I'm really tired from running like that's hard to do without bracing yourself or finding that balance so I do that I do a yoga class at least once a week just to work on like extra stretching And then I also do some TRX maybe once or twice a week. And I have that at home, which I do. And it's quick. You know, it's 15 minutes. You run through a routine and then you're done. And what about recovery? Do you do anything active recovery after hard workouts, races? I walk or hike. I don't do any cross training really. Just because, one, I don't want to spend that much time working out all the time. <laughs> If I've run for the day, I really don't want to go and, like, spin, <laughs> for example. I'd rather just go for a walk and be outside or sit with my legs up against the wall. So I do mostly running with supplemental strength training and yoga and walking or hiking. And sleep, how important is sleep? Oh, you sleep mentioned going so to bed early when you're important, you, right? I think nowadays, especially, we're often confronted with like fancy new products or nutritional supplements or, you know, this one trick to get your running better. But we often forget that so much of it is just rest and sleep and proper nutrition. And people often say, I'll wake up an hour earlier and go to the gym and do my strength training. Like it's so much better if you just sleep, which is another thing I've discovered is like, I'll allow myself to sleep in now. You no longer you know, get I up used at to five. be very regimented. Like I have to get my run in before this time of day. But nowadays I sleep in as much as possible. There's times when I don't sleep as well as I would like to. And that's not necessarily because of life stress or overtraining. I think I've always been quite restless as a sleeper. And a lot of times I wake up in the middle of the night and start thinking about like a work project or some something related to not running at all. And then I can't fall back asleep for a long time. So I think 
I've been trying things like listening to Headspace before bed, which helps me a lot with the falling asleep initially. And then I think it's also like as your body changes, as you get older, often people start having more trouble with sleeping. And, you know, that's something that I'll continue to work on and try to fine tune. Luckily, my schedule is flexible enough these days where I'm not pressured to have to wake up at a certain time most days. And um, you prioritize getting enough sleep. Yes. And, and I would rather prioritize getting enough sleep versus like dragging myself out to make a certain time and you mentioned nutrition as well what's your philosophy on food <laughs> or <laughs> diet i'm all about eating a lot of food i think it's so important to properly fuel your body with not just the energy but also the nutrition that it needs to rebuild after hard efforts and to recover so i am not on any sort of fancy diet I like to eat whole foods, you know, meat, vegetables, starch, fruit, and I eat a lot of it, <laughs> which I always find it fun to like shock people with how much food I can eat at certain meals. And I just think you should you listen to your body. I don't track calories. I don't track my macros or whatever is trendy right now <laughs> i you know from my science basis a pretty good knowledge about nutrition and energy expenditure and that sort of thing so i know i need to take in carbohydrates proteins fats and then micronutrients from fruits and vegetables vitamins that sort of thing and so you want a diversity of foods in your diet try not to eat the same thing day after day and You also want to listen to your body, especially after a race. I know there's certain things that I crave, like whether it's French fries or hamburger, or it could be, I just really want avocado toast for like five days straight. And I'll do that. I'll listen to my body. I'll eat until I'm full. I'll eat when I'm hungry. And it's like, don't get drawn into this whole cycle of depriving yourself or thinking that you need to eat a certain way in order to optimize your performance because I'm interested in a long-term running career. And for that, you have to adequately fuel your body and not fall into what they call the energy deficiency cycle, which will lead to adverse effects down the road. You know, it might, you might Especially get for women. super, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, if you're on a restrictive diet and you're training heavily, get super lean, super light, super fast, but that's a very short-term result. And long-term, you're going to have bone fracture injuries. You're going to have the side effects of losing your period. For example, you're going to have like mood disorders because being hungry is makes people unhappy. <laughs> It sounds like you have a very healthy relationship with food. Yeah. And focused and on a holistic That's not to approach. say that I'm 100% immune to like all the social media that you're inundated with. It's like, yeah, I do look at people's photos and think, wow, they look super fit or super lean or super strong. Or I'll look at my own photos and like have this critical assessment of them. But I think as long as you don't let those thoughts dominate and dictate your training, which should really be an expression of what you love to do, which is 
to run or to be outside or to cycle or swim or whatever it is. Yeah. What about the, your race nutrition? That requires a bit more planning and being more structured yes. about it. What um, have you learned that has made this race the best? Um, I learned that you need to fuel a lot and you need to practice your fueling and to do in a race what you practice. So I used to be very bad about taking in calories because coming from a road racing background, you can kind of get away with, you know, obviously for a 5K, you're never going to take a gel during a 5K. So I was never used to eating that many calories. Maybe for a, a marathon, I would take two or three gels. But for something like a 50K or 50 mile, I would usually end up in a calorie deficit and kind of just make it through the mm. end of the race and wonder why I felt so horrible at the end of the race was because I wasn't taking in enough calories early enough. So now for any length of race, like I try to eat some sort of breakfast before the race. Maybe it's small because your stomach's always kind of nervous before the race, but during the race, like starting from 30 or 40 minutes I'll start taking in calories immediately. And it might be I have an alarm on my phone that goes off every 40 minutes and I'll take a gel. And then I've been trying more solid food in the beginning part of the race. So during North Face 50, I ate Stroopwafels, like the first two aid stations, and then moved immediately just to gels. And at the end of the race, I think I took a gel like every mile. <laughs> it probably wasn't that frequent, but I ate a lot of gels. And I felt great. And not run out of steam at the end. <laughs> exactly. And bring it exactly. Home. Like if your stomach can handle it and if you're used to it in training, then, you know, take in all the nutrition you can. David mentioned earlier that you were so stoic and in this flow state throughout the race. Is there anything you do to practice that's like would be considered mental training or is that um, lifelong habits of when I'm doing a workout I'm pretty serious like with whoever I'm doing the workout with if they don't know me I'm always like I'm probably not going to smile till we finish this run and I'm going to be very curt with you <laughs> like this is a serious thing or any sort of hard run that I do I'm pretty like not chatty very serious during it so I think that's something that I put into practice both in training and in racing. And, you know, an easy run is, is for socializing or it's for having fun. But if it's a workout or if there's a purpose for the run, then I'm pretty serious on the run. Like sometimes people that aren't used to running with me will go out on one of these runs and they'll be like, are you mad at me? <laughs> like, no, no, we're just, you know, just, I told you this is going to be kind of a serious effort. So we need to like focus here. <laughs> so you practice your focus and for race day and the workouts as yes. well. Yep. Yeah. And how do you deal with lack of motivation or frustration or even a depression post-race mm -hmm. blues have you experienced that or how would you um, deal with when I think things don't go well goes through that obviously I've had races that go very poorly and a lot of times I we tend to internalize those feelings and I found that it's helpful to actually express them so I talk to close friends I'm not someone who likes to share a lot emotionally with a large group of people so having like a couple close friends that I really trust to talk to has been very helpful especially after races that go 
poorly or even after races that go well you kind of have this high and then fall back to a dip and I think one thing that helps is to have a next goal in mind right so you can't dwell on whatever happened at your previous race and I also think that not spending my time 100% on being a professional runner helps because I still teach I'm still like working on consulting projects and education which means that there's deliverables that have to go out at a certain time and like you can't just stay home and be miserable (laughs) so having other things in your life whether it's another career another interest um, people that you can focus your energy on helps to dissipate just let those feelings eventually dissipate because when it's fresh it can feel very overwhelming or raw or very emotional but if you have other things you can work on and occupy yourself and focus on then over the length of time if it's a disappointment like those feelings tend to fade and then you can revisit it with like a more critical or or a less emotionally charged experience right you can go back to it and say okay why did this race go poorly what did i learn from it what are some of the things that I will change going forward? Because races that go poorly, there's always a reason or a takeaway or something you can learn from it, right? Whether it's I should have taken in more calories or it was really hot and I need to work better either being acclimated or cooling myself during the event or I was tired and totally overtrained and I need to revisit how I approach my next race. I think failures are always learning experiences. Such not a necessarily good perspective. Failures. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good teaching every, perspective. <laughs> every race can be useful, no yes. matter the outcome. <laughs> so you mentioned multiple times that you have these these different parts of your identity. You have right. your running, you have your career, you're also married, you're in a relationship, you have friends. How do you manage those different sides of your life and your priorities, especially with a very intense training schedule with racing, traveling for racing, or even traveling around the world for a year. I think that it helps a lot to one, be in a relationship with someone who also runs. So we can spend a lot of time together on the trails. Like yesterday we did our long run together. So that's very quality time with the person that you're in a relationship with. And so I'm very thankful that Sean is also a good runner and that he likes to run with me (laughs) and you know that's how our relationship started is we met and connected through running and started running together so that's a connection that we'll always have and when we go to the Alps for example we just go crazy adventuring in the mountains together and that just further helps to cement sort of that bond between us And that's something we'll do for the rest of our lives, whether or not I retire from racing. And then I'm also very thankful that I've found a close community of other runners who are also good friends. So we both run together and socialize together. So we're on the same like home by 9 p.m. kind of schedule because we're up early for the long run. So I think finding your tribe or your group of people that share your passions is very important because a lot of times like I go to the UTMB races every year in the Alps 
so do all my friends. <laughs> so it's like I get to have a two-week vacation with all of my friends every year, which is so awesome. And we'll always have these experiences like connect over. And I think that I like having, you know, the teaching side of my life be a little bit separate from the running side. You know, I actually know, I have some colleagues who are also runners and that's kind of how I got to know their school or their students. But it's nice to have a different career that's not running and to have a different colleague group or friend group who do something completely different because I oftentimes meet a lot of new people through running. Like they'll be very interested in what I do as a runner, but then I'm interested in what they do as a teacher or maybe their career is in tech or finance or whatever, but it's a good conversation opener <laughs> to be like, I'm a professional runner. And then everyone has a ton of questions and then I can ask them questions. <laughs> so a lot of times I use that to like get to know people or I oftentimes try to schedule things like combinations of the things that I like to do as well. Like sometimes we'll do run and brunch and then it's like you get your run in, everybody gets their run in. Maybe everybody runs at different times or at different paces, but then we can all connect and share breakfast or brunch afterwards. Because I think people that are in an intense training program, oftentimes it is very lonely because you have to be pretty selfish about how you spend the time that you're training. Like you need to run certain paces on certain days and having a few people who I run really well with is also important to like not feel as if I'm alone all the time and to be involved in the community, volunteering at races, going to events, being interested in what other people are doing in the space, right? And not having it be about yourself all the time helps you maintain relationships and connections with other people. And I think that having running also leads to success in my other career as a teacher and an educator because people kind of see that I maybe excel at this certain area of life and that is kind of representative of the type of energy and passion that you would bring to teaching. Like I've gotten a lot of teaching jobs just from people that know me as a runner. <laughs> <laughs> people see your dedication right and assume that that yeah, transfers yeah. across so that's different like, areas you know people who excel at a sport when they retire like that's all of that dedication and commitment and ability to work hard can be brought to another career i'm at the point where I get a lot of questions from young runners, right? Who are just starting out. Like, I think I want to be an elite runner or a professional runner. And I always tell them, that's awesome. But here's things that you should think about. It's like finding relationships and maintaining them. Don't just isolate yourself in a cabin in the woods for 10 months out of the year, because that's what you think you need to do. Like, it's so important for you to be a well-rounded person and to make connections and relationships because be part of a community, be part of a community. Think about what it is that you want to do. That's 
outside of running. Like it can be related to running. Maybe you want to coach. Maybe you want to be a nutritional consultant. Maybe you want to write about running. But you have to do something other than just run all the time. <laughs> and something that will last when you're injured or yeah, beyond your Yeah, like if you're injured, career. if you decide to retire from a competitive career, what are you going to do next? So one last question, because you mentioned the running community and traveling around the world. And I know you did a really amazing around the world as well. Yes. <laughs> what have you seen in terms of similarities and differences in the running community in different parts of the world? I think similarities are that people who are runners are always excited to meet other runners. And then in different parts of the world, there's kind of like still very different attitudes or philosophies about running running is booming in asia for example but i think people in a way still have a lot to learn about running so there's a lot of appetite for education and also event participation like the marathons sell out immediately because people are so excited to participate in this new endeavor and i think that It was interesting to see also how running for pleasure or as a hobby is very related to economic development. You know, we went to Ethiopia and sub-Saharan Africa where, you know, runners are from, but no one there runs for fun. Like if you run, it's a very serious career. It's a way that you're going to better the life of your family or your village. So if you are an adult who has a job, you're not running for fun. Like there's not enough time or calories to go around to sustain that as a leisure activity. So running's very serious in Ethiopia or in sub-Saharan Africa. And then you kind of went to these places that were, that are moving from one level of economic development to like a higher level of development. And there you see like, People are starting to embrace running, but you still don't see a lot of runners out there. You might see groups of people working out in parks. And I'm talking about a place like Myanmar, which is, you know, still opening up after decades under a military junta. And there you can find people and they're just in the park. They're doing their like morning group workout class, or you might see expats jogging, but very few locals. And then you go to a place like Shanghai in China, where you see a lot more locals running, but they're still like, they're wearing tights and a long sleeve all the time, or which is kind of more of a reflection of still some of the more conservative cultural norms. Or there's a lot of like misnomers about running, like, oh, you shouldn't sweat when you run or like <laughs> overexertion is bad for you. And you're kind of like, no, that's the point. <laughs> overexertion is kind of the point. And then you go to a place like Singapore, for example, which is very wealthy, very multicultural. And also there's a lot of expats there and there everyone runs like you see there's bike paths everywhere so the infrastructure development is a lot more conducive to running and then running events there's races every weekend you will see like tons of people out on their morning runs along the water so i found that very interesting <laughs> to observe as we move from country to country 
But no matter where you went, the running community was always a welcoming place. It was like I would find kind of random running groups and send them emails and be like, hey, I'll be in your town for like two days <laughs> a month from now. Do you have any suggestions for routes or are you gathering for any group runs that I could jump in? And there were a lot of places like in Cape Town, we met up with running groups there. And then in Japan, like I went to a track workout with a local running club. And then we went out for beer and dinner afterwards. And I got to know like all these people that live in Tokyo and like to run. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I think we're almost out of time and I'll pass it back to David to wrap us up. Cool. Just before my last question, before I pass to Angela, we were talking about sponsorships and you were talking about being able to work like hand in hand with the sponsors that you have on product. And for people who are coming up, who are hoping to get sponsored, talk a little bit about what that looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like and maybe first who your sponsors are. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sponsored by Under Armour is my primary sponsor. So that's apparel and footwear and accessories. They make pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm sponsored by Camelback, which is a local Petaluma company for hydration vests and bottles. And then I'm sponsored by Goo Energy Lab, who's my nutrition sponsor, who does the gels and waffles and sports drinks. And also work with Equator Coffees because I'm a coffee Coff fanatic. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get out the door without my coffee. So th the relationship with your sponsor is you have to find like what's in it for both of you, right? There's something that you can offer the sponsor and there's something that the sponsor can offer you. And part of it is a financial incentive like the sponsor pays you to represent their brand and to give them product feedback because they need athletes who are wearing their gear or in their shoes. So my relationship with Under Armour is that I'm paid by Under Armour to represent the brand. So that means wearing all their products and talking about their products. And then it's also providing feedback, especially with the shoes, like what I like about new prototypes or models that they send like they want to know someone that has to run 50 miles in a pair of shoes what am i looking for what works or doesn't work and then promoting products that they come out that's part of our job too is like goo is releasing a new gel flavor like here's you have to try it be ready to talk about the flavor and how you use it in training and then share that with everyone <laughs> and then so it's it's a commitment from your end which is why I've always kind of limited myself to a smaller group of sponsors because I realize that you have to work on their behalf as well and you have to think about what is your time and energy commitment to doing that right the more sponsors you have the more responsibilities you have to like to those sponsors, whether it's appearances, photo shoots, and sometimes, you know, you find yourself being asked to do a lot of things and you might not have the time or the energy to do it. So for me, because I have another job and another career, I'd rather keep the sponsorships 
more limited and just give my best effort and time to the sponsors that I'm really passionate about and that I'm really comfortable working with versus like having a whole long list. And I think that helps me better maintain those relationships and also be a better representative of those brands. Very cool. There's a through line from what you talked about as a kid of like, do what you do really well, right? (laughs) Even with your sponsors. It's, I mean, it's easy in life to, there's like a focus element to anything Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see how you've brought that through all aspects. Um, Last question, little bit of a lightning round on just resources that help you do what you do whether it's apps or devices or like what's on your home screen of your phone. So Um, like what's your home screen? What are your go-to? Oh, what's my home screen? What are your apps that like, well, even like Headspace to go to sleep. Oh yeah, I use Headspace a lot. So my coach and I use Final Surge for the training plans. I do like a bit of socializing through Instagram. I'm on Facebook less now, although it's interesting because people always talk about how there's some negative things associated with social media like Instagram or Facebook, but I've also had like a lot of interesting connections happen just through these apps because that opens up a line of communication that would not have existed. Otherwise I use my Kindle app a lot to read (laughs) on flights, Gaia GPS, I don't know if either of you use Gaia, especially exploring, finding new trails. That's essential. And I'm on Strava. I'm moving more towards using Map My Run because now that's an Under Armour product and Map My Fitness. And then other than that, just texting and email. Yeah. (laughs) What about devices like your watch or your... I have a pretty simple um, GPS watch, just a Garmin. So yeah. I don't use a smartwatch because otherwise I'll just look at my watch all the time. <laughs> so I've got my Garmin. It does heart rate, GPS. I find that's all I need. Mm. And then I take my phone a lot because I love taking photos. And, you know, that's all constantly be generating content. <laughs> Books or podcasts, anything that you're reading or listening to that hit the spot for you? I'm currently reading a book called The Body by Bill Bryson. He's one of my favorite authors and does a very interesting job of going on these very deep dives into a particular subject. And so I really enjoy using his books, not just to learn for myself, but I also use his work a lot as teaching tools for my classroom to have kids read. You can take certain sections because he writes about subjects in like a very entertaining and approachable way. So this newest book is called The Body and it's all about the different systems of the human body. And it goes quite deep into the science, but also has a lot of anecdotes, connections to history, and it's told more like a story rather than a textbook. Running shoes, then we'll close <laughs> out. <laughs> so I've actually, and learnings along the way about the importance. Yeah, so I've been wearing a lot of uh, what are called the Velocity shoes lined by Under Armour, and I actually wore a pair of Velocity twos for the entire North Face Fifty. I still prefer more minimalist shoe construction versus like the maximalist, and as a 
someone who's used to road running, I love wearing road flats for any kind of race, trail or road. So a lot of the feedback that I gave to Under Armour was that I want a road racing flat with just stickier tread and lugs. And that's what I want as a trail shoe. And so they have some prototypes mm. that are, you know, building upon this velocity racer and putting like a different outsole on it that's more appropriate for trail. Cool. I think that's it. Thank you very <laughs> You're much. You're welcome. This was very fun. I learned yeah. a lot. <laughs> so great to be here. All right. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Common Threads. If you liked the show, please tell your friends and followers on social media and encourage them to tune in. You can also leave a rating or review to help new listeners discover the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you're listening on. Or send me feedback directly on Twitter at David underscore Swain. And then head over to join our new platform for athletes at theprokit.com. <laughs>